Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning, Red Sea Catholic Radio listeners. This is your fill-in host, Thaddeus Romanski, with Dennis Mock at the uh, buttons. We're joining you here on the morning of December 22nd, 2021, just days before the celebration of the Nativity. Welcome in to Red Sea Roundup. You're listening on KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, and KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. You can't call in today during this segment or the second part of the show because both of them are pre-recorded. but you can understand that because we're getting down to the end of the year and it's holiday time. And so, you know, we're trying to give ourselves a little flexibility just as I'm sure you want in your own life. But welcome in. Thanks for listening. And Dennis, how you doing this morning? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well, Thaddeus. Uh, Happy last week of Advent. Great to, great to be almost to Christmas time. Very exciting. Yes, indeed. Very exciting. It's uh, just the waning days of Advent. I know that in uh, the Waco Central Texas area, all the penance services have been uh, completed. They're in the books. Yep. And today is the very last penance service here in Bryan College Station. It's going on right now, right now during right the now. during the uh, time you'll be listening to it for sure. And uh, then there's an, a second segment tonight, right, at uh, the Good Shepherd Chapel from, is it 6 to 8? I don't have the numbers right. The that is correct. Right yeah, tonight, right now it's going on from 10 to 1 at Christ's Good Shepherd Chapel in uh, on Coulter Avenue in mm-hmm. Bryan. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, tonight it's 6 to 8. It's a combined service is St. Joseph and St. Anthony's Catholic Parishes. And they usually have about 8 to 10 priests that are there. So, so you can be assured that you can make your... Uh, make a good confession before Christmas Day Mass. Yeah. Very important to do. Very important to do in this season of Advent. So speaking of Advent, how has your Advent been going with your your family? Has it been uh, a time of waiting or has it been a time of challenge uh, specifically? Well, it's been, a, it's been a little bit of a challenging Advent, not on the uh, spiritual or religious observance side, but... Um, my parents were going to come and visit us mm, from Colorado. Yeah, that's right. And then we got news about a, 10 days ago that my sister was positive with coronavirus. And so then they had to cancel their trip and reservations. And so that was very difficult mm-hmm. to stomach because we were excited that we were going to have them here for Christmas Day. And uh, that, that had made my in-laws move their Christmas, which we traditionally do with them, on uh, Christmas morning. They moved it up a week to accommodate my family, Aww. so that was unf- that was a, a disappointment. But more, more lo- challenges from twenty twenty one. Yeah, folks. but thankfully, thankfully, okay. my sister is recovering well. My parents are are doing God. fine. Good, um, and God willing, they'll be able to come for the baptism of the baby in March. Nice. The new baby. So you know, God brings yeah. good out of bad. Yeah. Um, more more time of waiting for mm-hmm, sure for your mm-hmm, kids for mm-hmm, sure. I imagine mm-hmm. it's harder for them to understand. On the like observance that. of Advent side, it's kind of a 
it's sort of an overwhelming uh, embarrassment of riches almost. There's, you know, we try to do the Jesse tree in our family. We try to pray the St. Andrew novena. We try to read, uh, do a read aloud at night. We try to pray yeah. the rosary. Yeah. We, um, so, we try to observe the feast days when, when we can. We make St. Nicholas Day as a big feast day in our family. Um, Gaudaute Sunday, we, yeah. you know, try to do a, a big meal. So it's sort of, and then you, when you don't, when you don't meet all of your, you know, meet all of your benchmarks sort of, and you, you let something slip or kids activities get in the way of, um, you know, maybe observing it how you perfectly, how you wanted to, yeah. you can get down, but to, Advent is a joyous time on our household. We, we, mm-hmm. we love the season of Advent and we really try to market and, and not rush, rush into the Christmas season. You know, ours has been a time of, of kind of differences and changes because this is the first advent that we've had only one well besides when we had just anthony when he was an infant um just one kid at home you know we've got three off at college two are out of state and so it was a different time you just had one graduate yeah yeah so um it's interesting in that we typically do a a name drawing every night of Advent where you focus on something nice for the person that you drew, you know? So if you draw your own name, you have to do something nice for everyone. And it's, it's been kind of a fun game, but it's also a way to bring peace and joy during that time. Um, That's a beautiful tradition. I didn't know they all did that. Yeah. We've been doing that for decades, you know? And so this is the first year we kind of had to ditch it because there's been three of us. And so, you know, chances are you're going to draw your own name and everybody's going to have to be nice to everyone. And we don't want that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so what we focused on doing is trying to be peaceful and, and joyful and doing nice things to everyone every day. It, we just haven't been drawing the names because, you know, chances are I'm going to draw my wife or right or, or the one kid that's left. And so right. it's been a time of, of differences there. We've, we do something similar. We do the Christ Kindle tradition where you draw names. We draw them on St. Nicholas Day. Nice. And then you're supposed to do do nice things uh, kind of in secret for that person. And then mm-hmm. you, you buy them a gift for them to unwrap on Christmas. We, we did kind of that version, but in every day without the buying of gifts yeah. kind of thing. So... It's, it's a small, it's a small gift. Yeah, thing. it's, it's nice. Um, but so, yeah, we've kind of missed that this, uh, this Advent because there's with teenagers, you've got a lot of comings and goings. So if you're a young family listening and haven't started Advent traditions in your family, it's never too late to start um, because it's great to add things on. You can learn from what Thaddeus is saying. You you can add too much sometimes and not get to them all. But don't don't be discouraged by that if you can't. But then be willing to go with the flow like our family has had to do this this year and this season and uh, make some adjustments as you go. And it's that's a perfectly great thing to do. But as long as you focus on the season, add some new prayer. One thing that would, has been nice, actually, um, Anthony, our oldest, is a missionary in North Dakota on an Indian reservation up yep. there. Yep. He's got a couple of families that he's really, uh, they've... They've pulled him in as their own, and he's he's adopted them as his own family while up there. And so he came home and said, hey, I still want to say Advent prayers with them. So we've FaceTimed with them a couple of times in this last few days and included a different family into Advent prayers, which has oh, been wonderful. real nice in that he brought a lot of our family traditions 
and help their family light their first ever Advent wreath. And so for Mm. two different families. So Mm. it's been a special thing to see the love that God has has given to us and our family has been shared to someone way up north in North Dakota. So props to our our eldest son, the missionary, uh, and and, uh, uh, with the the Society of Our Lady, the Most Holy Trinity, he's volunteering for them up there, Uh, has been for, for over a year now and loves it. So... Uh, yeah, Advent's been a great one, um, but it's always a time of waiting. So it's a time of uh, waiting for only a couple of more days because Christmas is is coming up real soon. So get time to go visit with some extended family if we can. You've been able to do that already. And, and like you had mentioned, um, I'm going to have to miss out with that direct contact with your family this year. Um, our prayers remain with your Thank sister you and their so family. Much. You bet. Yeah, and, you know... We always want to emphasize that uh, here at Red Sea that Christmas is just beginning on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. The Christmas season, season just starts on Christmas Eve. You've got the 12 days of Christmas that follow from Christmas Eve. And so we really encourage you to um, look into some of the Christmas traditions that go along with uh, mm-hmm. the Christmas season and really observe Christmas. And, you know, if you can, don't be in a rush to take down your, your decorations, your lights, leave those up. Mm-hmm. Let people, let the world know that it's, it's still Christmas and we're celebrating the nativity, the coming of the, the God man for our salvation, right? To save us from our sins. Mm-hmm. We don't have to keep repeating this cycle of, of sin and dysfunction, um, we're we're saved from that from that cycle. We can break out of it with His grace. Definitely, and continue continue on with your traditions. If you have some Advent traditions, maybe inv- invent some new Christmas season traditions and mm-hmm. prayers, and, mm-hmm. and attend the the different liturgical events and feasts that are are upcoming here in the new year. I mean, so, and speaking of the new year, yeah, we wanted to we want to also send a, a little thank you out to all of you who have. <coughs> Uh, participated in our end of year mail out. It's been, mm-hmm. gosh, I mean, such an awesome yeah, surprise. It's been really wonderful. We, we we weren't sure how how uh, it was going to go. We weren't even sure if we were going to be able to get it out. And we, we took a big leap of <laughs> but faith. We did. Yeah, and we sent out close to three thousand letters from those <laughs> that have supported us from the beginning, mm-hmm. twelve years ago mm-hmm. um, to mo- the, to the very most recent. We're, we're finding out a lot of you have moved. Yes. yes. <laughs> so we're updating American, our database. The American tradition continues. <laughs> but no, many of you, um, just in the, the stuff we've been able to count, we've had probably $8,000 plus in support. Um, and and the, the mail-out's expensive just to do. thank you it's so a, much. It's a leap of faith that we did, but it's not just a way to, to raise money. It's a way for us to touch base with people mm-hmm. we haven't heard from in a, in a while mm-hmm. and to give them updates on what's going on. So we told them about the things that are coming in the new year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. exciting to, yeah. to be able to touch base with you. Uh, so if you have our letter on your uh, countertop and you haven't opened it yet, if you can't give money, that's okay. Open it up to see what great things are coming for the Red Sea Apostolate, yep. not just Red Sea Catholic And Radio. there's a spot on that return mailer for prayer requests. 
you don't have to make a donation in order to put your prayer request down. You can exactly. just send your prayer request back. And we pray for those each week at our team meeting. We do. We, we pray over them and we mention them. We read them all to, to one another as a team. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we, we want to pray for you and support your families because that's what that's what the Red Sea is about. Yep. Yes, it is. And uh, speaking of the new things that are happening, um, just want to mention that uh, keep your ears peeled in the new year for information about Victory Sports and the uh, clinics that we're going to launch with in the springtime. Man, we're finding out it's a way not just to bring families together, but uh, not and not to just teach kids and youth and their families about virtue and sport, but it's a way to really reach out and collaborate with parishes Mm -hmm. and and to rejuvenate parish life. Exactly. So it's we're fired up. We're mm-hmm. fired up about the so many things that God is going to be using this new arm of our apostolate for. So, yeah. So stay stay tuned for that. And also, if uh, I know this is, you know, it's hard to think about about this Lent as we're bringing Advent to a close. But it, you know, it will be upon us soon. Um, looking at doing a book study for the four major documents of Vatican II. If it's something that you want to learn more about, and the, the the church councils are their documents, so reading their documents is really critical if you want to understand the church councils. And so stay tuned for news about that in uh, the new year as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, we're coming down to the end of this uh, first segment, Dennis. Is there anything else that we want to No, we're just very excited about, about the interview to come with Sean Carney from 40 Days for Life. Man, Pam. that guy's been fighting the good fight for a long oh time. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, it's been real nice to see that that uh, that whole organization grow from its small beginnings here in uh, mm-hmm. Bryan College Station to an mm-hmm. international, mm-hmm. international thing. And now it's turning to multiple books and multiple ways to reach out and there to was, people. There was good news a few weeks ago that uh, even though... Uh, there was some legal action against the Texas heartbeat bill. It's not been uh, suspended. It's still in effect. Mm-hmm. And so babies and moms are being saved from the from the tragedy of, of abortion. Yeah. So here, here in the state of, of Texas. At lots least. of great things are happening. So on keep the, that effort in your prayers. On the fight for life. Yeah. Keep it in your prayers for sure. And be sure to tune in here coming up. Sean Carney. Uh, we interviewed him this past week, and Pam had a great groundbreaking interview about his newest book, mm-hmm. little teaser trailer there about what's to come in the second half of the program. Sean Carney is always a dynamic speaker, and it does, does a great interview, and mm-hmm. Pam likewise. So the two of them together, uh, you're, you're going to find out lots of new information about the movement for, the, for life and the new book, which is in it. Um, if you haven't read it yet, I advise all of you to uh, pick it up and get on it. But uh, yeah, we're going to go into the break. So coming up, part two, Sean Carney for Red Sea Roundup. Thanks for joining us, folks. Merry Christmas coming up. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to this edition of Red Sea Roundup. We have a very special edition today. Uh, this is pre-recorded, so we will not be accepting phone calls. But we have a very special guest. We have Sean Carney with 40 Days for Life. Welcome, Sean. 
Hey, Pam. Hey, how are Pam. Today? How are y'all So today? good. So good. So uh, just to give our listeners a little background on you, Sean, you are um, a graduate of Texas A&M, and Ooh. you started working locally here with the Coalition for Life, which eventually um, kind of morphed into 40 Days for Life. Am yes, I right so yeah. far? Am I right so well, far? That, that's it. That was, that was a great little summary. I'm I'm class of uh, 05 and um, proudly. And, you know, I Mary Lisa and I went out and volunteered and prayed out in front of that Planned Parenthood. I remember, I remember a few weeks before, weeks before, I, even before I even started my freshman year wow. in 2001. And so um, we were volunteers and I had plans to go to law school and we wanted to have a bunch of kids and I was going to be a lawyer. And then uh, David B. Wright hired me to work part-time at the Coalition for Life. And then uh, he left about six months later. And Mary Lisa and I had the joy of, of working, of working there, for there for six years, six years before, before 40 Days for Life just grew, grew uh, you, know, uh, into this, you know, into this crazy ride that we've been on. And so, uh, yeah, it, uh, I am very proud that I got heavily involved in the pro-life movement as a, as a college student at A&M and at St. Mary. Yes. Well, I'm going to tell our listeners too, that uh, my introduction to Sean was, he was, he was simply Mary Lisa's husband. <laughs> yeah, Being, that's pretty, I think that's actually on my bio on the 40 Days for Life website right It now. should be. So. Yeah. So I got <laughs> to know Mary Lisa really well while y'all were still living here. And that I was always such love a delight. To, I always love to tell the stories about the, uh, that first 40 Days for Life where Mary Lisa was out uh, doing all the hard work where you're getting to go visit around around town with people door to door. She was out there with all the, the love bugs getting in her hair and her mouth and her ears. And we had some massive infestation that year. And, um, you know, I remember being out there with her praying on the sidewalk, just going, how does she do this? So uh, no discredit was, to I you, Sean. It was, like the, uh, it was like the plague. You it know, was... She- with the love bug, she was out there from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Yes. And the comical part of that, which we did that first 40 Days for Life campaign, we started on September the 1st, yeah. like fools, because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's that's still so very hot. much summer, mm-hmm. as we all know. And, um, and, but, and but, but going, but going up there in the morning seven, meant that she relieved the Knights of Columbus, who took the night shift mm-hmm. with a K. And by the time she got there, those guys got out there at 11 o'clock at night the night before. By the time she showed up at 7 a.m., it was, it, it was, was a real rough scene. scene. You know? yes, <laughs> yeah. they, were, they were pretty tired and uh, they were ready to go home and she would kind of wake them up and say, all right, I'm here. You can, you can go home now. <laughs> and, and sometimes literally wake them up, probably. Mm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for that w- sure. those are some fun times. So, um, so Sean, um, tell, Sean us tell us a little, us a bit, little bit about that transition, like the Coalition for Life um, and the birth of 40 Days for Life um, during, during that time. That time it's such a piece, piece of, of a beautiful, beautiful Texas history, we'll say. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's something it's, that, it's, you know, now that 40 Days for Life has gone to over a thousand cities, we just we just had our first campaign in South Korea uh, last Lent. We had our first campaign in, in Havana, Cuba. And it, it's beautiful to see, and, and I don't often enough reflect upon those early years, but I mean, when we did that first campaign in 2004, um, we never thought it would go anywhere. Uh, we were going to do one campaign. I remember one of the coolest things that happened when, when I was out there one day was a family from New Orleans had driven in. They had six or seven kids and they had heard about 40 Days for Life somehow. And they thought, that's cool. They're out there 24 hours a day praying. Let's get in our car and drive to, to Brian. And I thought, wow, that's, that's really awesome. But 
Um, about a year later, um, David B. Wright had moved off. He and I were constantly talking about launching this nationally. What would it look like? And in the meantime, uh, Mary Lisa and I had helped Green Bay, Wisconsin do a campaign. And I went up to Green Bay and, and spoke at their closing rally. And I remember all they did was take our flyer and replace College St- Brian, Texas, with Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah. And they replaced our dates of our campaign with their dates. And that was the first time I thought, you know, this is crazy. You know, this, this is crazy. Really this go really somewhere. And I remember I was reading the book on Mother Angelica and how she built EWTN during that trip to Green Bay. Mm. And it really resonated that, you know, 40 Days for Life could go beyond Bryan College Station. And, and so in 2007, David and I launched it, you know, nationally, hoping we'd get 20 cities. And we had 89 cities in 33 states that first fall campaign of 2007. Wow, you know, one of my my, more uh, more poignant memories of the beginnings of 40 Days for Life was, you know, I still had a bunch of kids at home. There wasn't really much I could do to get out there, but wanted to really support y'all however I could. And one of the things I remember being kind of taught, too, was that as long as abortion is in our community, we have some culpability for it. And that that profoundly impacted me um, to always be a part of at least a rosary, a daily rosary during the 40 Days for Life campaign, because I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, we have some culpability because it's here in our community. And so I'm so thankful for 40 Days for Life for teaching me some of these things that uh, has actually led to a lifetime habit of daily rosary. And for life and for all of our loved ones. Yeah, and I think yeah, and I, big I think picture big for pic- us as Catholics and something we've always uh, we've tried always to tried word, to word, and I've certainly tried to message is that this this isn't something that you kind of do and you get the T-shirt and you feel good about it. You know, like you, it's easy to help the environment. Everybody feels good about that. It's easy to help all these causes out there that everybody agrees on. But when you when you go against the grain. Um, it's tempting just to say, hey, I did that. I'm courageous and I'm faithful and now, now I get to move on with my life. And I think abortion is so tragic and so uh, sort of a desperate situation. We just heard like half of our Supreme Court, one of our justices just compared the unborn child to somebody who's brain dead. I mean, we have to, we have to somewhat grasp how lost we are as mm-hmm. a culture. And that forces us to pray on our knees. That forces us to fast. And therefore, your pro-life activity should simply be part of your spiritual life. Exactly. And, and, and part of maybe a weekly commitment, a monthly commitment. But I know that my goal was always to sort of normalize going out to Planned Parenthood and praying. We're not the crazy people. This is just common sense. You know, exactly. you, you go out and you pray for an end to abortion. And we certainly saw that um, a huge transition at St. Mary's. We saw that community wide that this isn't for some like, you know, hardcore segment of our population to speak out on behalf of the unborn. This is everybody. We we all do this in, in, in other parts of our life. You know, we defend life, we assume life, and we should do it where life is taken. And it should be a regular thing and a regular, you know, part of our walk. Right. So, right. Sean, tell, so us Sean, exactly, tell us exactly um, how many countries now that 40 Days for Life is in. Uh, 65. Wow. Uh, 65 wow. total. Our, 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 our most rapid growth recently has been throughout Latin America and Africa. And, uh, you know, 
Latin America and Africa are very unique when it comes to abortion because those are places where we've exported abortion. We meaning mainly the Americans and the Brits. Um, Planned Parenthood, our government, Marie Stopes, which is like the Planned Parenthood in, in the UK, uh, and their government, they've gone into Africa. They've gone into Latin America. They've told Catholic rich you know, uh, countries who love children who want children, who have big families, who celebrate family, you ought not breed and you need contraception and you need abortion. Mm. <laughs> Nothing more elitist, you know, than going to somebody and saying you shouldn't have kids. Yeah. But uh, but we do it and, and we pat ourselves on the back for it. And and yet uh, those are the places where 40 Days for Life has had the most growth recently mm. because the people are pro-life. They That's reject right. abortion they see through sort of this uh, misguided compassion where Bill Gates is coming to town or the U.S. government's coming to town or or Planned Parenthood's coming and saying, we are now going to get you civilized and, you know, you're going to love us for it. Oh, they see through all of that. And, and, it, and it's great. It's also a great compliment to our wonderful country that although we export abortion to many of these places who don't ask for it, they don't turn around and point the finger at us and curse us to hell. Uh, quite the opposite. They knock on our door and, and ask us for uh, the solution to the crisis. Well, speaking of, well, speaking some of, of the solution, some, or a part of the solution is the topic of your latest book, What to Say When, the complete new guide to discussing abortion. So I am really excited to hear more about this book because – I think it's a real necessary book when people today, gosh, because everybody's so confrontational or, you know, quick to fly off. But you just make some really great points on how to approach that. So tell us what inspired you to write this book and then give us some of the nuggets. <laughs> well, this is like a public confession. I didn't really have any inspiration and I didn't really want to write the book. <laughs> if, we're, if, if we're all honest, uh, it, you know, for years, people have been asking me to do like an apologetics book. And the first time I was asked, I was like 30. And I'm like, nobody wants to listen to a 30 year old tell them what to say <laughs> on anything. So I, I just never got to it. And and uh, I know one time um, Mary Lisa had brought up her friend, one of her mom friends that had something. And I was like, she's like, you should really do more and, and give people like a like a guide, you know, and I'm like, uh, it's just common sense and it's boring and everybody knows what to say. And these are all like washed up arguments. We've all heard it all. And, you know, there, you know, there's tons of stuff out there. And, and so there was no inspiration. And then about three years ago, the abortion industry has gone from privacy to healthcare to bizarre mm. and, 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 yes. and crazy very quickly. And I just realized through my own travels and conversations, I started in media interviews getting asked about forced birth, you know, dun, dun, dun. And all these horrible, you know, kind of catchphrases. And so, and so um, um, I, I, I thought we need, to, we need to put something out. And one thing I noticed, anytime we did a YouTube video or anytime we did a podcast on, this is how you address abortion and rape, the numbers went through the roof. And people just kept asking us, we want more of this stuff, more of this stuff. So really, I feel ashamed. I was not excited about this book until about halfway through writing it. 
uh, mm-hmm. with Steve Carlin. Once we got like five or six chapters, I thought, this is really good. We really have something. And, mm-hmm. and I think we're going to fill that, that, uh, that void that people are telling us, hey, write something like this. And so uh, during the COVID lockdowns is when we started, just because we had extra time because sure. our travel got canceled. We got out a few chapters and then we knocked the rest of it out in early 2021. And we wanted a book that was usable, that actually told you what to say and not to say, that was well-researched. There's over a hundred citations in the book. Um, And that was proven. That that was, you know, uh, things that we had used on Planned Parenthood workers, on women having, going in for an abortion, on guys screaming at us in the street, so that it was it was proven method. But we also, Pam, wanted to cover anything and everything you could possibly think of that would come up with abortion and and um, and we and, you know we, we you know we put it all in there in under two hundred pages. So wow. we're excited about it, and it's been fun to see it uh, to see it take off. Yeah. So yeah, so, so I'm gonna so I'm gonna, gonna kind of give you kinda... my tough one when I because I have a family member who is pro abortion. We all have one like that, right? Um, and even though, you know, because years ago it was the discussion of when life began. Well, that's gone away. We all know it for sure that that's, you know, the beginning of life is conception. But then it morphed into their right to be mm-hmm. able to, you know, like to to do that because that was their right. And even though we don't really believe it, how do you address, oh, it's, it's, it's my right to be able to do that? Which I believe that kind of ties into what's going on at the Supreme Court right now. So if you want to address that kind of all at the same time, that'd be amazing. Well, and if I could take it a step further, they don't even say, okay, I, I understand it's a life. Some of them will say, yes, I know it is a human life. Yes. I know it is a baby and it is my right to kill it. Uh, yes, exactly. I mean, they're just out front. The evil is so upfront and so demonic and it's so in your face. And as you said, Sean, bizarre, something, <laughs> you know, has to give. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, and, that's, and the, that's good, right? Because at least we know whether it's your aunt or whoever, they actually support abortion. It is a baby. It is a life. I don't want it. Might makes right. We can kill him or her. Mm. Those are authentic abortion supporters, most of whom are are almost always in the industry. And even about half the workers are just sort of trying to make people feel good and 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 help women. The other half are like, yeah, we don't need a lot of these people. Uh, we don't need more poor people. We don't need more disabled people. We're here for the eugenics part of it. So when when somebody is honest enough to say, yeah, it's a life, um, the, the way to address that when you're kind of your mouth's on the floor and you're like, but it's, it's a baby, you know, yeah, yeah. is that person who says, who says all, that, all that, they don't apply that. They don't apply things. that to other things. They have their nephew and their niece's ultrasound on the fridge. Um they like the wanted babies and you can, you can point that out to them. They don't think that we should serve pregnant women, 10 whiskeys at a bar. They don't think pregnant women should get on roller coasters. Um, So no one escapes the schizophrenia schizophrenia we have, we have born, you know, and all of the uh, laws that we have, the surgeries we do on unborn children, all the things we've done to protect life. We put Scott Peterson on death row and he charged him with second degree murder for murdering his unborn baby, a baby the court gave a name, Connor. 
And so we need to either take him out and, and apologize for, for that charge of second degree murder for his unborn child, um, or, or, or we need to be more consistent. So the schizophrenia where we go back and forth on abortion when we protect the baby and when we don't legally needs to be highlighted in those in those conversations because those people don't apply because as they listen to them, they don't apply it to other situations uh, with the human person. They protect human life in other ways. And it's important to make that connection. And basically you're pointing out to the fact, oh, you're just a bigot. (laughs) I mean, you, you only target the unborn and discriminate against them, them, because you'll because defend, the right, defend the right people, you'll defend the dignity of these people. You're right. just bigoted in where you apply human dignity. Right. So I, one of the fallacies I hear a lot is that the mother's life is more important than the baby's life. Like there's a hierarchy about the importance of life, which is such a fallacy. But how do you how do you talk to people like that? You know, it's like, wow. No, that's yeah, not what true. If the grandma wants her to choose life. Is then the grandma's life more important than the mother's life? I mean, once once we start saying the mother's the life, mother's is more life important is more than the baby's. When would we ever say that? Would we ever say that? Ever uttered that? I mean, this is the most beautiful bond in our humanity, and that's why we can't get sucked up into the crazy dialogue. Is that we're talking about a mother and her baby? And abortion forces the supporter of it to, like, pin those two against one another, Mm. which is so unnatural. Right. So when somebody says the mother's life is more important than the baby, that's just totally off topic because they're both important and they both exist. We're not ranking it. We're not like Uncle Jimmy is way more valuable than Aunt Sally. We would never do that. But now we have family members and we're ranking their dignity. We never do that, except with abortion. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's weird at best. The other side of that is if that's a health thing, which we obviously hit hard in the book, um, there is no scenario is where an no abortion scenario. is going to save the life of a mother. Abortion is, not abortion is not designed to save a life. It's designed, obviously, it's designed, to take obviously, one, but take, it's not designed to save the life of a mother. That if, unless you have an abortion, the mother will die. And the first person to say that is, is not Sean or Dennis Mocker or anybody like that. It was Alan Guttmacher. And he said it in 1962. Wow. And he's the, you know, they're, they're the research arm now of Planned Parenthood. But he said, when we're honest, there's never a scenario where an abortion is going to save the life of the mother. That was in 1962. And I think we've made a lot more medical advancements uh, since 1962 to where it's, it's even more irrelevant uh, now. And you see so many doctors testify to that. And you saw it in the or- oral arguments. Give me the example of when it saves the life of a mother. Well, I don't have one. And so uh, that argument where they say the mother's life is more important than the baby's, it's not only an awkward unnatural sentence to say about to say anytime on any topic it's not accurate when it comes to abortion saving the life of a mother but you know unfortunately you know, unfortunately i feel like, I feel so like many people um well to you and i that see, sounds very logical and how can they refute that but one of the things i've really noticed especially in this last let's say year and a half i came across a phrase that sin darkens the intellect 
And so they are clouded in their judgments that are common to you and I as, you know, God-fearing people. But for them, you can't even discuss with them because their intellect is so clouded. It is clouded, but it's it's not clouded, but it's it's not. And and every soul, I mean, most of this isn't isn't rocket science. Abortion doesn't survive on on good arguments or well-meaning politicians or or even the law, which allows it. Abortion survives on pain. And that's not like a condescending thing to say, like, well, you're all just hurting. That's why you're wrong. But but the reality is that there haven't been 28 abortions in America. There have been 64 million. And abortion survives on pain because it's the only surgery that, you know, nobody grows up wanting an abortion. Nobody grows up wanting to work in the abortion industry. Nobody brags to their family members about how great their abortion doctor was and describes the procedure to their family members in the group text. We do that with all other surgeries. When Ann Edna is getting her lung removed, you get all the details, whether you right. want them or not. You know, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's on our rosary list. We're going to pray for her. Like, stop with the details. I, I trust the doctor, whatever, you know, but, but we're, we share those things. You know, when grandpa went in for his heart surgery, they went in and it was amazing. Yeah. This doctor, he was the best. You notice the doctors are always the best. And he sat there and he talked to us and he answered our questions. And this is how they went in and they, you know, did A, B, and C. You get all the details of every other surgery and all the greatness of every doctor in the world who does those surgeries, except for one, and that's abortion. Okay, Sean, let me inter- interrupt you and do, do a little clarification. When you say survives on pain, do you mean like is a, is a pain, like suffering pain kind of thing? Like it yeah. feeds off of, oh, well, you're going to suffer that's, even more if. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. That's why we don't talk about it. Mm. And so when you have somebody in there, you know, they're intellectually dead or appear to be on this issue. That's not the case. You're asking them to talk about something that they, they literally can't talk about. And we don't in other normal scenarios. If, if you're going in for surgery, you tell people, you explain why you're getting it, what they'll do, who the doctor is, why the doctor is phenomenal. And that never happens with abortion. And former abortion doctors will say, it's not a decision between a woman and her doctor. I'm not her doctor. I don't know her name. And she probably doesn't know mine. I'm her abortionist. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have to recognize in conversation that love is truly the most powerful thing because you cannot defend abortion. And that was that was on full display at the highest level of our country uh, during the oral arguments of the Dobbs case. Right. Well, you know, it's still um, you could probably put some statistics to it about uh, the American people and how they they come on. They are not for abortion. Like the majority of people know this is wrong and know that it's heinous. So that can you give a percentage of these days what that is about the American it's like people? Sixty-four percent of people are against some kind of an abortion. Okay. Okay. So and the poll numbers change when you sure. when you say you're against all abortions. I think it's like twenty-seven or twenty-eight percent. Um, but the the poll numbers can can come and go. I know now more young people are pro-life. They support a lot of crazy things, the Generation Z. 
Um, but they're almost all pro-life because they had an ultrasound on themselves or their little brother was on the refrigerator. Um, so that's well documented, but you know, the, I think it's like 27 or 28% of people are against all abortions in all circumstances, which is what the church teaches. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't know how relevant that is. I, I think it's a sad statistic. Uh, no wonder we've had 64 million abortions. But, you know, if you apply that to other issues, we would we would sort of disregard the fact that it's it's about a third of our country uh, that's against this. The Supreme Court and our laws don't operate based on the will of the people. That's for Congress. That's mm -hmm. why we have elections. The Supreme Court's to interpret the law. So, um, you know, if 27 percent of the people were against slavery, uh, looking back on history, I would I would just find it irrelevant. Um, you know, uh, of how many people were against it exactly. and how many people were for it. The reality is that it shouldn't exist. Right. I guess my follow up to that is like, how is it still federally funded in, in so many areas? I mean, that just that boggles my mind that it could be federally funded. I think that's kind of given your enemy a little credit. I mean, Planned Parenthood has done a very, very good job at getting into Medicaid, not to get into the the weeds, getting into Medicaid and getting money for abortion. And they've done a good job at that. And they focus on that. You know, there's a huge disconnect between Planned Parenthood at the corporate level and the people who actually run their abortion facilities. I mean, Abby Johnson, when she was running the Bryan Clinic, total disconnect. And, and once she had a conversion, she and I put together two or three scenarios where they completely threw her under the bus. They were coming after the Coalition for Life, and she had no idea, you know, that they were doing it. But it reflected poorly on her. Mm. There's all sorts of things like that. Um, they don't invest a lot in their local employees. You know, if you if you could be working somewhere else, you probably would be at a local Planned Parenthood on average. But what they do well is at the corporate level, and they put a lot of money into lobbying. They put a lot of money into marketing. And they are geniuses, unfortunately, at getting federal funding and keeping it mm. and crucifying anybody who, 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 who causes a fuss about it. So um, that's part of the problem. That is what they do well. So it's like, how do they get half a you know, billion dollars a year in tax funding? It's because they're good at getting tax funding and keeping it. Wow. Mm. So that just kind of begs the next question, too, that um, what are we going to do about it? There's some things in the books, like I just got to kind of briefly look at a couple of pages. And one of the things I loved about the truth and love, so you already kind of alluded to that, that love and showing that love when we're talking to these people um, that are pro-aborts, oftentimes our loved ones and our friends, um, you said something really important, which was, Let's be on the offensive, not the defensive. Can you explain that a little bit better? Yeah, that's the the opening chapter is is go on offense. You know, we don't we don't have an argument problem or a science problem or certainly not a, a religious problem. Um, we have a confidence problem most of the time, and so we need to go on offense. We don't have to defend life, even we have to use that phrase, but. It really doesn't make sense. 
<laughs> Nobody ever has to defend life. Why are you having a, a birthday party for your 10-year-old? <laughs> well, they're, they're turning 10. <laughs> What's your deal? You don't like pizza and cake? What's right. wrong with you? You know, we don't, we don't really have to defend life um, on any other issue. And, but you constantly have to defend abortion. And if you work in the abortion industry, that is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. Mm. And they'll tell you that. I mean, Abby, one of Abby's first things she told me when she had her conversion was, I just noticed when I went to HEB, I was comfortable. Like, I never thought about somebody asking me where I work. And it was a huge relief. Mm. I mean, think about that. Think mm. about that. That, that is, I mean, you're a medical worker, according to your bosses. You know, mm. you're not a, nobody apologizes for working at a dentist office or being a cardiovascular nurse. So, we have to go on offense and 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 get to the root of why they support abortion, why abortion is good. And we have to listen. And I think often in dialogue, we're fielding questions and we're not asking questions. And it really needs to be the opposite. And that's why we have that format in what to say when. Um, I mean, it, you know, you, you can't sit there and smirk at people. You have to actually listen to them. But um uh, no, very few abortion supporters have ever been asked this question. What is an abortion? Mm. I mean, when, when, when you ask somebody, what is an abortion? It changes the entire dynamic of that entire conversation because they've never had to answer that question. And they'll say, well, it's a woman's right. It's privacy. And you say, no, no, no I know. I know it's legal. Like I get all that. It's totally legal. Um, but like, like, what is it? Like, what do they do? There's 3,000 a day. Like, how do you have an abortion? Like, what takes place? You know? Um, and again, if this is healthcare, if this is medicine, then it should, well, it should apply to all the other surgeries. You know, when you say you're getting your tooth pulled and somebody's like, well, what is that? You're like, well, they kind of give you a little numbing in, the, in, your, in your gum and then they pull your tooth. Right, right. You know, I mean, w we don't, we don't apologize or hesitate to share what a, what a specific surgery is. So mm. there's a number of questions in that opening chapter of, of how we just gain control, for lack of better words, of the conversation, but also allow the person to verbalize what they believe because it's probably one of the very few times they've ever verbalized it. Right. So being a good listener, it sounds like, is also key to, to winning over hearts, too. It's easy to do if we do it <laughs> and it keeps us calm and it allows us to figure out what we're going to ask next or the point that we're going to make next. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you get in a discussion or an argument with somebody and you walk away and you're like, I should have said this, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the reason you didn't is because you didn't have time to think of it. You, you were kind of wound up or you were trying to stay one step ahead or trying to, you know, maneuver. And we really don't have to do that. I mean, we're talking about a beautiful thing. You can take the grumpiest person in the world. And if they're walking through Kroger and they see like a six week old baby in the carrier with a mom shopping, they just light up. They just melt. They can mm. be Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm -hmm. So we, we put too much burden on ourselves. Like we're trying to lock 15-year-old rape victims up in a prison somewhere. 
you know, and we got, we got get trapped in these discussions and we have to relax and realize we are defending the most beautiful and pure goodness and innocence of both the woman and the baby and those who work in the abortion industry. Right. So I see it's kind of a, mm, one of those reverse kind of deceptions to have us be more on the defensive of why it shouldn't be that way. Defensive of why it's allowed, but to, to say, uh-uh, not good. And Pam, our, our laws reflect that. Mm. I mean, once you dehumanize a group of people as Roe v. Wade did, now you're, you just have this horrible burden as a society. Because now America has been trying to figure out when we can sleep at night and have a baby be aborted. Some states say it's 18 weeks, other states 15 weeks. Most of Europe says 12 weeks, you know, and now we're just moving the goal line because we've made ourselves God. And that's a full-time job. Playing mm-hmm. God is a full-time job. And so everybody's uncomfortable with an abortion at some point. We do know that from the polls. And the, the, the question is why. And so when you get in those discussions and you're going on offense, you know, why can't we abort a black baby at 39 weeks? You know, they're like, well, I mean, that's racist. Okay, why can't we abort a white baby at 39 weeks or a, or a girl because she's a girl or a brown-eyed baby because you wanted blue? Why can't we do these things? Why can't, if we're going to control the womb, why can't we just go all in? Right. You know, and there's a lot of questions to, to ask that not just provoke, but get people thinking, when can I have an abortion and you're okay with it? Mm. Because what you're going to do is you're just going to back up all the way to the reality that we don't exist and then we do. And that's conception. Right. So can you educate me a little bit more? I try, I'm try. i trying to follow the ins and outs of this Texas law that's been passed. It, it's like it, it's, it seems like it's staved off a lot of abortions so far. But can you can you kind of catch me up on that? Like, what is the latest on what's going on with this Texas heartbeat law? Well, it's being challenged and it'll <clears throat> it'll go before the Supreme Court. But the gist of it is they outlawed abortion anytime a heartbeat is detectable which is the point of the law because the the abortion industry said, yeah, but by the time the woman knows she's pregnant, the baby has a heartbeat. And that was the point of it. So it essentially annihilated most abortions, all but chemical abortions or emergency contraception. So it got rid of, uh, you know, 95% of all abortions, which creates a huge revenue issue for the abortion industry. Um, So so it, it will be challenged. But the difference in that law is that it's enforceable by the people. Mm. That's the difference. Explain that. It's not the state saying, hey, Dr. So-and-so, you did an abortion at 10 weeks, you know, because the state is very bad at overseeing certain things. And so it's not the state. It's Billy Bob can say, that doctor did an abortion on my daughter and I'm going to sue him. Mm. And that's the difference. And, and what most lawyers would say is the genius of the Texas law. And by the way, the Mississippi law that just went to the Supreme Court, really? it's that it's private citizens who can enforce it through legal action. And wow. that's, that's why it's not, you know, the women of Mississippi 
are not suing the state. That's not the Dobbs case that went to the Supreme Court. It's the abortionists themselves. And it's the same in the Texas law. It's the abortion doctors that are suing because they're the ones that could be sued if they break the law by a private citizen. Gotcha. Okay, so is there any facilities still operating in Texas right now then? Yeah, they're operating. They're not they're not doing abortions. I mean, it's it uh, we're going to see, you know, it's it's one of those where every day this goes on is like, you know, awesome for our cause and terrible for theirs. I mean, Planned Parenthood in Houston, largest in the world, mm. 40 abortions a day. You know, four to six hundred and fifty dollars per abortion. You do the math; they're losing a lot of cash every single day, and that that facility specifically has already been struggling. Um, and so that happened in Bryan. We started cutting their numbers down. They were going, you know, they were getting to thirteen, fourteen, sixteen abortions every other week when they had been doing 40 every other week wow. and we cut them in half and in the, the state passed that ultrasound bill. And that was the end of that facility in Bryan. And this is now our headquarters, obviously, but yes. you know, Planned Parenthood's not made of money. I mean, we think they are cause we don't yes, have what they have right, right, right as a movement, but they're, they're vulnerable. And, and that Planned Parenthood in Houston has never uh, hit their quota for abortions. Um, it's, it's a problem for the, for the facilities in Texas. And we're going to see some closures, uh, once the Supreme court hears the case, cause they're either going to want it reversed immediately and they can go back to business. But if, if they don't get a reversal immediately, they're, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be in trouble financially. And we're going to see a lot of them close. All right. Uh, so make sure everyone, all your listeners out there, put that on your list to continue to pray, um, pray for that permanent closure of that facility. Wow. That's unbelievable. It's kind of going that direction. Okay, so let's yeah, talk. Yeah, it's, it's very encouraging. Yeah, we've got like, we've got only like about three and a half more more minutes left there, Sean. So let's get back to um, talking about some of those things in the book that you like. Okay, if there was one thing I really want you to take away from the book, it's going to be this. <laughs> well, I'll go on ahead and say the uh, the chapter on rape. I think that's what we've gotten the most positive feedback on. Okay. Um, and that's because we hit it from, from every angle and, and from, from the first being the rapist should go to prison. Somehow he gets lost in these conversations. Number two, um, we never do this in any other scenario. We love the underdog in America. Um, the circumstances of your conception don't, give you more or less dignity. If your dad is a criminal and is in the penitentiary, we don't write you off. You're not less valuable in the eyes of God right. or in the eyes of the Constitution. Right. So we never hold the, the crimes or the sins of parents against children in this country, except for these scenarios. <clears throat> That's the second point. The third point is that a victim of rape having to go through an abortion is a disaster. Abortion is not designed to be this emotional healing from a horrific event, no matter what that event, but especially a rape. And when I was at A&M, I know I had a friend and his mom 
was a victim of rape at 14, which is always the scenario you'll be given in conversation, the 14-year-old rape victim. And he said to this day, he said it in front of Planned Parenthood, to this day, he's a product of rape. He cannot change that. So is he less valuable? Does he have less dignity? But the other scenario I had at A&M where two women shared on campus at Rudder, both rape victims, one had an abortion, one didn't. And they said something I never thought about as a young 20-year-old man, which is the rape was supposed to take away the abortion for the woman that, that was raped and had the abortion, but it did the opposite. Mm. She now had two anniversaries, and the anniversary of the abortion reminded her of her rape, and the anniversary of her rape reminded her of an abortion, and in her own words, she was in a living hell, and she regrets it every day of her life, and the woman that chose life gave her child up for adoption. And it was the source of healing of wow. seeing the pictures of her son play T-ball and, yeah. and, and knowing he was adopted by a great family. It helped her heal wow. from that rape. And we just assume in our society that abortion is some kind of healing mechanism and it's not. And it's, it's a fallacy yeah. that we just push that on, on women who are already victims. Oh, God bless them. We'll keep them in our prayers. Well, Sean, I can't thank you enough for joining me today on Red Sea Roundup. Um, we're going to wrap this up, and I want to say give my best to Mary Lisa. Tell her she's sorely missed in the Brazos Valley, as you <laughs> are both. And just go and love your family really tight for me. And until next time, folks, go and love your neighbor. Yeah, since you woke me.